Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm glad that you're here. If you want to support the mission of the Paul Leslie Hour, you can do so. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. You're going to see a button that says support the show. Just click there. You can make a contribution of any amount via PayPal. This is an interview with Michael Connor Humphreys. He is an actor most known for portraying young Forrest Gump in the movie Forrest Gump. If you prefer watching the interview, there's also a video version available on YouTube. You can find both the audio and the video version of this interview on thepaulleslie.com. Let's get into the interview. Michael, sir. Oh, yeah. How's it going? Can you hear me? Coming through loud and clear. Okay, good, good, good. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not bad. Not bad. Uh, just woke up from my, well, you know, like I was saying, I do a graveyard shift. So uh, just been, been asleep most of the day while the sun's up and uh, just crawling out now. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've got to work not too long from now anyways. On a, I work earlier on Friday nights. So. So where in the world are you right now? Portland. Portland, Oregon. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to introduce everyone out there to you. I'm speaking today with Michael Connor Humphreys. He is a native of the state of Mississippi, and he's currently working as a teacher. He has served in the United States Army. He's acted in a couple of films and on television. He's perhaps most known to the world as being one of two people who played the character Forrest Gump. Michael Connor Humphreys played the young Forrest Gump, and it's a great pleasure to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about what brought you to Portland, Oregon. Uh, I uh, came here. Well, actually, I came here about 10 years ago to shoot an independent film. Uh, Somebody had invited me to do a role in an indie film here. And I started coming out here about then to shoot, went on multiple trips and uh, over the course of a couple years. And then about three years ago, my girlfriend and I were wanting to move uh, just out of Mississippi in general. And we were just talking about places we could go. And this Portland came up, you know, and it's, it's, it's nice. It's obviously nice around here. Like I like the city itself, but also the mountains and everything, all the hiking and outdoor stuff you have available to you is really nice. So I told her about that, kind of sold her on it. And then we just went ahead and came out here and set up shop for the last three years. So Oregon is now home. Yeah. Yeah, it is now. And I actually live on the Washington side. I live on, I live in Vancouver, which is, Ah. it's, it's, it's the wash. It's the Portland area, but it's the Washington state side of it. So I'm technically in Washington, but yeah, I'm in the greater Portland area in general. I got you. About five minutes from downtown Portland. So, but, you know, barring traffic, traffic might make it more like a 45 minute trip, but you know, that's just how it is in a major city, but I do like it here. It's, it's really nice. Very good. I've had, I've had thoughts, you know, we've questioned if how long we wanted to stay here, but every time 
it comes fall, spring, summer, just like it's just so pretty. It's like you know, <laughs> can't we can't think of anywhere else to go that we would like more at the moment. I gotcha. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. What are your most vivid memories of growing up? Um, oh, for me, uh, really just, well, being from Mississippi, I think of, uh, just the, the countryside, Mississippi, which, you know, it's pretty much, it's pretty uniform farmland and woods, but I remember just, uh, I remember trekking through the woods with, with other kids back then and, uh, jumping over fences and stuff and messing with people's cattle, <laughs> messing with the horses and cows and everything. That's kind of what I think of as a kid from, from my younger years. And then, uh, and then I, I thing is, is by the time I was eight, once I started hitting the movie stuff, I've had a lot of, lot some more intense experiences, both filming, but also traveling around the world. Uh, some of my most vivid childhood memories were going overseas Hmm. Uh, post Forrest Gump to promote that. And, uh, and movies too. So movies just really stick out in my mind. Uh, I can remember the first time I watched a lot of different films when I was doing, when I was a kid, but like my, I feel like my, my childhood was half absorbed by films in general or video games. <laughs> I see really easily focused on, on entertainment media. <laughs> Well, what about those movies? What were the movies you said that they're they're pretty vivid to you? What were the movies that really they made a oh, big influence to you? You know, Indiana Jones, Top Gun. Those are those are stuff like that pops out in my mind. Anything the Indiana Jones series and Star Wars, both the original Star Wars, uh, are big ones um, as they are for most kids. And then and then anything that was a big military movie, you know that a kid could get like Top Gun was obviously a big one, you know, just, I really got into fighter planes and everything after watching that as a kid, but all, all military related stuff. I was really, really into. Uh, and, um, and then, yeah, anything that was like historical period, old period pieces, stuff about knights, Braveheart, things like that. So anything that was really dramatic or historical or military related, or directed by certain people like Spielberg or Robert Zemeckis really, really, you know, stuck with me back to the future. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just anything. Yeah. That whole, that whole plethora of stuff, but uh, yeah, it, just, yeah. Sci-fi and that kind of thing really impressed me as a kid and I was just glued to it, you know? Hmm. So what did the people around you think when you started getting the idea or whoever got the idea well, Michael is, is possibly going to be in movies. Um, well, being that I was from this really small town, I mean, there was a really small, outside of my immediate family, there was a, not a large circle of people around me. There was the kids at school. I was on summer vacation when I got the park, so they didn't know about it. And then there was a couple friends that lived next door. So mainly it was just family members and like the people across the street that, that had any idea that this was going on. And it also happened very quickly from the time I went to try out for the part to getting the part was there was less than a month, probably in between that little period of time. So uh, virtually no one knew what was going on. And, you know, and in our case, it just happened so fast. We just, just dealt with it as it came. And I went to try out for the part, you know, there was no background to it. I had never done anything like that. And we just did it for fun. And then, you know, and all of a sudden it was just happening, 
So, and like my dad had to leave his, my dad had to quit his job so he could stay home and take care of my sisters while my mom took me to go shoot this film. But like I said, it's like once, once they picked me for the part, they would just, it all just came out all at once. So all of a sudden that was just what our lives were, you know, just overnight almost. It was, it happened just really, really quickly. Like it struck like lightning is what my mom has always said about it. Just, just came straight through. And how old were you at that time? Eight years old. So you were eight years old. Mm -hmm. Can you remember what you were thinking about it? What you were feeling about it? Um, Yeah. One of the weird things is that I got this, there's been a few different times in my life, I guess, especially when I was a kid, when the, the, the handful of times I ever won anything, I remember when I was a kid, I always knew that I was going to win whatever it was I was going to win. I don't know why. Just, I just remember having these feeling like I'm probably going to win this. And then I did. And uh, it was the same thing. I remember when my, when my mom took me to that audition for Forrest Gump, we just did this randomly. But I remember going to it and I was walking in there thinking, but I just remember thinking like, for some reason, I'm, I've got a feeling like this is going to probably go through. And then it just did. So like, I don't know. I had this strange, uh, you know, um, prescience or whatever to know that like it was going to happen. And then it did happen. So I was, I guess in a way I wasn't that surprised as a child that it did happen. But once it started like rolling and everything started happening and I started actually meeting people like Bob Zemeckis, the director, I met him within a couple of weeks and I knew he had made Back to the Future. So I was extremely impressed with that kind of stuff, meeting the people that made these films, you know, and that gave me a chance to talk his ear off about, you know, he had now he's got an eight year old kid stuck to him talking about Back to the Future all the time. So I'm sure that was, you know, <laughs> for him. But that, that's the kind of stuff I really enjoyed. And then once I actually started seeing the other actors, like I had no idea who Tom Hanks was by name. But when I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, now I recognize him from, you know, Dragnet, uh, him and Dan Aykroyd, that kind of stuff. So, and, and the fact that also I just started traveling so much, which I had not done before that, um, it just seemed like a change of lifestyle for me as an eight year old, but it was all just entertaining. The thing is being so young, I didn't really, I couldn't wrap my head around what was really going on. It's mm -hmm. just they kept telling me, Hey, you're going to do this tomorrow. And then I went and did it. And it was just like being on an amusement park ride you know, for a kid. So it took me years to really contextualize it afterwards, you know, to really get what it all had happened and how it happened. But yeah, it just, I you could say it went over my head because I was a child, but you know, most things do when you're that old. So I, I just enjoyed it. It was just a giant entertaining real life experience, you know, like something I would, something I would have watched on TV, but it was actually happening to me. Hmm. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked Winston Groom at his house. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to know what you're going to say about this. Did you say at his house? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you went to his house? Yeah, I went to his house uh, in Point in Clear. Point Clear? Yeah, yes, sir. I've been there. That's what I was yeah. wondering. Yeah, I've been down there before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. nice place. That's yeah. a nice part of the country, Point Clear. Yeah. I think the nicest some of the nicest beach houses I've ever seen in my life are right there on that main beachside drive. Like they're just some amazing. Oh yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a nice place.
I asked him, what would Forrest Gump say about the world today? Hmm. Uh, oh, God, I don't know what, you know, I've never really thought about it too hard, but he would probably, I mean, well, he would say something, I guess, ironic or funny about uh, <laughs> about the main characters, you know, these days. Like, you got to think if he had kept going through history, he would eventually bumped into every president like he had so far. Right. So he would have had his run ins with everybody from uh, from uh, I think he stopped it about Nixon. Yeah. He would have kept having to go through Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, just up, 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 up. Yeah, no. so, yeah. I'm assuming he would bump into every one of these guys and then have something, you know, funny. Hey, I'm sure he would notice their biggest flaws. You know, that's what he seemed to do with every one of these presidents. He seemed to always notice people's, you know, glaring flaws of some kind, it seemed like. But anyways, yeah, he would have something funny or ironic to say about the main characters in the media, as he always did. But also, as far as the state of the world, I mean, I don't. I'm not sure how he, I mean, I've noticed it in the movie. Like there are times when he makes statements like he had to go fight the communists in mm -hmm. Vietnam. So he obviously had a basic understanding of geopolitics to know there was a such thing as communists and capitalists and all that in, in the sixties that he was fighting. Right. At the same time, I don't know how really aware, you know, he was of, what the world relations were between countries and, and governments and parties and all that stuff. So the, but I was going to say, I don't know if you'd look at the world today and really understand who was squabbling with who and why necessarily, but the world's really no more messed up than it was in 1962 when the U S and Russia almost nuked each other to oblivion. You know, like we've been in bad places before. So, I mean, this is what goes on today is its own thing. It's different than stuff that's come before. But I mean, you know, the world's almost destroyed itself a hundred times in the 20th <laughs> century, just in the 20th century. Right. So, right. you know, I don't know. He, he may have the awareness to look at that and just say, you know what, it's all messed up in its own new ways. But people are just being people, unfortunately. But that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what are your memories of Winston Groom? He just passed away this year, and I had talked to him a few times, and then finally getting to meet him in person, I couldn't help but walk away and and have him make a lasting impression. Oh, what yeah. about you? Oh yeah, yeah, he always did. He uh, there were certain people. Well, okay, so everybody that I ever met uh, or associated with during Forrest Gump and after and all that, they were all really nice people, all great. But like there are certain people from that experience that have always stuck with me. And he was one of them, you know, he was one of the people that just kind of, like you said, kind of stuck out. But he, uh, I don't remember meeting him when I was making the movie. I'm sure I did, but I was so young that it, it just doesn't, I can't recall. Uh, but shortly after when I was within two years, two or three years of, Forrest Gump coming out. I did meet him as I was getting a little bit older. I met him a couple of different times at various promotional deals or whatever they Paramount was sending me to sending him to at the same time. And I just remember he was always very, very nice to me then. And then, uh, and then just uh, maybe 10, 11, 12 years ago, 
I went to his house, like we're talking about, and uh, did an interview there, a joint interview that we did for some Blu-ray thing. And then again, I saw him just maybe two or three years ago in Mississippi when he was doing a book tour. So I've run into him several times and he's always been really, really, really nice. And uh, the thing is, he and I had a lot of common. He's a big history guy. So am I. So we would talk about Forrest Gump stuff, but then we also spent most of our time chatting about history that had nothing to do with that. You know, he was basically that's what he did. He wrote history books outside of Forrest Gump, as you know. So we talked a lot about military history. You know, he's an army veteran and everything. So like we had our had a lot of common uh, interests there. And uh, he always offered to help me. I never took him up on it because uh, I never really, I guess, found myself in the situation where I necessarily thought, thought he could help me a lot or something. But like he had always left that door open, you know, to like get a hold of him at any time if I ever needed any kind of reference or assistance with anything. So. And he reiterated that every time I met him. But yeah, he was a very cool guy. And also, to meeting him, he also, you can see how Forrest Gump got created as you talk to him. You know, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of him in there. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, as he's, I'm sure he explained to you, there's a collection of people he met in his life that are the uh, amalgamation that made Forrest Gump. And also, once you go to Point Clear, that whole region, I mean, that's like the, the shrimp boat you know, Alabama coast thing. Like he, he did right from where he had been in his life, you know, where he had grown up. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it all makes sense when you meet him and when you see the region, <laughs> you think. Yes. yes. Yeah. You see it pop out all of a sudden. And you also, yeah, I'm sure, you know, of course that the, the novel version of the character is different than the movie version. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a lot rougher. Um, sure. Same premise, but they made it into a more family-friendly forest for the film. But then the basic storyline is essentially the same. So, uh, but also uh, that's another thing too. As I got to know him a little better, the rougher sides of you know uh, the Forrest Gump carrier char- character, the grittier stuff. You know, you can see that coming from him, and then oh, yeah. you kind of almost see where like you know, a screenwriter. Somebody took his novel and made for Forrest, you know, family friendly, and it was not him. <laughs> you know, he had just, I remember him telling me he had just met some people in the army in particular that were just hilarious, but not that smart. And that he was like, that was kind of the, you know, the genesis of it. And then his, his interest in history, obviously, his idea that you could have this guy who just managed to bump into all these major events in history and, and indirectly affect them just really appealed to him. So what was the biggest thing that made you want to serve in the U.S. Army? Um, <clears throat> mainly, well, I was already just interested in military technology, mainly as a kid. Uh, yeah, mainly just interested in military technology and technology in general <clears throat> when I was younger and uh, aircraft and ships and all that stuff and tanks and everything. And uh, and then doing Forrest Gump, I had some direct uh, contact with Marines. And also they took me to the Marine base that was nearby where they shot Forrest Gump and like, let me tour an F-18 and everything, the fighter jets. So they let me play around with that stuff when I was a kid. That got my interest a little more peaked. And then uh, 
I have family that have been in the military. Uh, most of my, you know, my dad and uncles and grandfathers and all that are all ex, all ex military. And uh, so anyways, when I got to be a teenager, I didn't really intend on being in there, even though I'd always, I'd always been kind of a military tech geek, but I had not really planned on joining. And then, uh, cause I didn't think there was anything to do. And then when the war started happening, Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, from that point, I was like, well, you know, you should probably go now because now there's a reason to be in there and you'll actually have a job. I'd always, my dad always told me like, don't join the army in peacetime basically. Cause you'll just be doing, you'll be pushing the same button for four years. You know, like there's nothing to really do except the same little thing they have you doing. So once, yeah, once the wars were going on, I was like, okay, you know, this is a chance to really get some kind of substantial experience that you wouldn't normally plus other people have to go to. So I was just like, I guess I should be doing that myself. And uh, so, you know, the war started in 20, 2001. I joined about 2005, a few years later, but that was also kind of at the peak of Iraq, you know, was peaking at that time. That's when a lot of people were going. And also I have to add that my, uh, at that age, by the time I was about 19, 20 years old, I was at the peak of my, uh, what's the word? Um, I was at the peak of my disillusionment, not only as a young, not only as a teenager and young man, but I was at the peak of my disillusionment with having been a former child star, right? Basically, I was never really a former child star. I was in the one movie, but like there was that that stuff that surrounded it. And then I didn't do anything else after that. So I had most of my teenage years were spent dealing with all the attention and the fallout of having been a Forrest Gump, but not actively being involved in that industry whatsoever. So for a teenager, it's kind of, you know, creates a lot of social anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So when I was 19, 20 years old, I was at a point where I was like, I have no idea what to do with myself. And I was like, I'm never going to do anything else in my life that even remotely compares to that thing I did when I was eight. I was like, mm-hmm. except maybe be in a real life war. <laughs> I was like, that's the only thing I can think of that's on that level. I'm going to go be in a real war, you know? Uh, so that's just what was going on in my head at the time that kind of compelled me to go join. Like I, I was trying to prove something to myself and I was also trying to prove something to other people. The thing is, is nobody else was waiting for me to prove anything. There was nobody to prove anything to. So I just had that going on in my head at that time. Interesting. So your students these days, mm-hmm. do they ever find out that you played Forrest Gump? Does that ever happen? And if so, what is their oh, reaction? Yeah, they, they definitely know about it. Well, the company that I work for actively promotes themselves with me working uh-huh. there. Yeah. But it's a Chinese company, so there's no they don't pay me or anything for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they pay me to do the job, but they don't pay me for the promotional value because it's, you know, that's what happens when you contract with a Chinese company. <laughs> Can't really get around it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They tell their 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 clients about me. Um, anything, you know, that would draw parents to sign up and everything. So I get a lot of students that show up for the first time and know who I am. Definitely. So when and people a movie over there, so, yeah, no. Say it again. It, it's a popular movie in China. Uh, like it's real popular there. Of course, it's the parents that know more than the kids don't really know that much. We're talking like five-year-old kids, but their parents always recognize me and want to they always are like nudging their kids from the side and getting the kids to ask me questions about Forrest Gump, you know? So what is it like for you if you're 
you know, just walking around and, and somehow somebody, you know, if, if somehow some, some way they knew about that role, what do people usually say to you? Is it ever annoying to you? Uh, it used to be a lot more just because, well, when I was in Mississippi and people, well, a lot of people knew who I was there, especially in my hometown, pretty much everyone already knew who I was. And, uh, if they didn't, somebody usually told them. So I was frequently bombarded with that, you know, and just people bringing that up. And it's not, I mean, it's not that annoying to have it brought up, but the same question will get asked a hundred million times, you know, that that's just, that comes with that. I'll have, you know, people would ask me the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Um, and, uh, so that it could be annoying sometimes, but now that I live in the area I'm in now in Portland, nobody even, I nobody knows who I am here except just a couple of people. I have an acting class that I do here and they know who I am, but like my neighbors, neighbors or anybody I've worked with here, no knowledge whatsoever of it. And when they do find out about it, uh, my previous job, I was working as security. I was a transit cop on the Portland, uh, transportation not portland the vancouver washington transportation system and uh they found out about it and you know i mean there was about three days of that being all they wanted to talk about and then it just kind of smoothed out you know <laughs> and so it's it's not that big of a problem these days it's a bigger problem when it you know right now it doesn't complicate my job that last job being like security on a bus and then all of a sudden they know you were also the kid in Forrest Gump or you're also supposed to be checking people's bus tickets and everything doesn't really work together. You know, <laughs> like it can, uh, I've had some jobs where they don't really, that background is not, does not uh, mix with it very well, but usually it's okay. I could believe that. Now you were saying that there was one question you just kept getting asked, 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 asked always asking you this question. What was that question that people kept asking you? You know, well, it was a set of them, but I think the ones I've been asked more than anything else has been, uh, they, yeah. Anytime somebody found out about it in Mississippi in particular, or, or just in the South, it was always, uh, Oh, what is it? It was always, um, they'd always ask if I could say a line, if I could say a line or they say, say this line, right. Which was something I never wanted to do ever that I never wanted to say the line, any lines. And they would also ask about the braces falling off the legs. Mm-hmm. They would say, how did it feel when the braces fell off? How did the braces fall off? That was always the question. And how much did you get paid? Which is of course, another question I never wanted to answer. It was, they always wanted to ask me a lot of questions I didn't want to answer, you know, but it was those three. It's, yeah, braces falling off, how much you get paid and uh, say this line, say this line, say this line. But those were always the big ones. Oh, and how's Tom Hanks? You know, how how is it? How is Tom Hanks or how what's Tom Hanks like? I see. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think it is that maybe you learn from Tom Hanks? Oh, you know, uh, shoot. He. Uh, well, that's two parts because there's my experiences with him as a kid. And he's also, he's one of the people from Forrest Gump that I've kind of kept occasional contact with over the years. Um, from when I was a kid, well, when I was a kid and I met him, I guess, again, being eight years old, I was just impressed with, Hey, this is the guy from Dragnet, 
right? So I'm just like, it's cool to meet them. I think it's just like I talked Bob's Mexis ear off about Back to the Future. I was talking his ear off about Dragnet and Big and Splash and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I think honestly, during the shooting of Forrest Gump, he learned more from me than I learned from him because I was just an eight year old kind of having fun, and he was specifically observing me. He largely based the Forrest Gump character on me as a kid. Uh, like, you know, the quirky mannerisms of an eight-year-old kid work well for that particular character because he's basically a kid trapped in an adult's body situation. So he observed me a lot and my accent for the character. And I was just kind of there, you know, having fun. But what I did learn from him later is that one, uh, you know, we finished filming, we left. And he was very nice and everything. You know, he's really nice while we were doing that, of course, um, to me and my parents. But anyways, we finished Forrest Gump. It came out. It went to the Oscars. You know, it swept the Oscars. And then he actually had an honorary Oscar made for me and sent that to me. Right. So that was something that I remember getting when I was like nine years old and thinking, OK, well, this is a really gracious guy. Right. You know, so I guess I can say I learned there, you know, definitely be if you're ever in a position like that, be that gracious, be that generous, you know, be that nice. And then since then, it's been the same thing that whenever I have talked to him over the years, same thing with Winston Groom. He's always been like, you know, you ever need any advice or something, don't hesitate to ask kind of situation. So he's just always been really very, very nice and very, you know, uh, open with me as far as being able to communicate with him and stuff. So I guess I've learned like he's never struck me as anything other than just completely normal. If I didn't know what he did for a living and what his success had been. And you just, you know, what I know of him personally, he doesn't seem like he just seems absolutely regular, you know, hmm. like it doesn't seem like anything he's ever done has ever gone to his head at all. So I would just keep that lesson in mind to not ever let it go to my head. If I ever, you know, shot up the ladder in any way. So tell me about you. You said that you're in an acting group now. Uh, in in Portland, yes. So, what do you all do? Tell us about it. Uh, well, acting class yeah, in general, I've never, I never did any kind of professional training for acting related stuff. You know, I did Forrest Gump with no background, and then I didn't didn't really pursue acting after that. And I did these occasional roles here and there, and it's only been just in the last couple of years that I have actually. You know, like I said, try to professionally train. So I'm trying to get back into acting now. I was planning on doing that this year, but that didn't happen because nobody's acting this year. You know, like everything's on pause, obviously. So maybe next year in the spring, I can start pursuing stuff. But uh, yeah, I've been doing the class for the last couple of years. And this is the first time I've ever had any professional instruction. And um, I mean, it's intense. It is pretty intense just because, I mean, Getting, getting out of your head and getting over the anxiety and everything of, of, of being on stage is just the first step. And uh, when I did stuff as a kid, I, kids are not nervous about doing things. The older I got, the more nervous and more anxious I became about doing any kind of role. So like step one with my acting class has been to learn how to get past the anxiety, you know, and just to not get stuck in my head with whatever I'm doing to, uh, to be more present is what they're always saying. I'm still trying to understand what presence even means, but I think I know what they mean. So <laughs> they use these grand theatric terms sometimes, but 
anyways, no, getting out of your head is is the main thing that they've been trying to train me to do for about a couple years now. So I'm getting better at it, but uh, I'm starting to get to the point to where we, I, I've just we've done several, we've I've done several scenes in a row for the last couple of years, scene nights. We'll occasionally have like little small scene nights, little plays and skits that we put on for people. Uh, just the other day, actually, I got to read the whole class. We got to read a script for a local playwright that he's writing up that he plans on putting on the script or on the, uh, the uh, theater circuit, but he wanted to kind of hear it out loud first. So he sent us his script and we kind of acted out his play for him, which was really fun, which that was cool. But you know, I'm that kind of activity I'm getting now to where I can do that. Finally, after a couple of years, I can look at a part I'm doing and, uh, and just be in it. Like I'm not, I'm not reading the words and thinking about what does this mean? What does this mean? What is this supposed to mean? I'm just in it, you know, present. So that's, it's a simple thing, but it's a big thing. You know, I found it's a big step and it took a couple of years to get to that point. So, but the thing is now, if I, if I'd been trying out for stuff three years ago, really auditioning, you know, I wouldn't have been very good at it. I don't think, but now I'm getting to where I can actually potentially have some, you know, success with it. Cause I could do it when I was eight years old, you know, obviously I had a little bit of talent of some kind, but whatever talent I had when I was eight years old has gotten buried in all of my adult nonsense since then. So I've been trying to dig it back out. So what's the appeal? What's the attraction to acting for you? Well, I have, you know, for one thing, I have no, I have no idea what else to do. Like I just, I, uh, I've got a lot of different interests and uh, like I'm, I'm extremely intelligent, uh, you know, in a basic sense, like I could have made straight A's in school, but I never did, you know, because I couldn't stay focused on stuff like, and that's kind of the thing that when I think about like what I'm doing with my life or what I want to do professionally, there's a lot of things that I probably have the mental capacity to do, but I don't have the focus to do them. So like with acting, it's like, I really enjoy it. I like what it, I like what it uh, demands of you as far as understanding everyone else. I'm always trying to understand other people, you know, less than understanding myself. I just try to understand other people and try and put myself in their heads. Uh, that's always appealed to me, which is what acting is, is putting yourself in other people's heads. Um, but uh, yeah, that really appeals to me. And uh I mean, even if you have moderate success, it can be a job. It can pay the bills, even if you're never super successful. So honestly, and since I already had an experience with it when I was a kid that worked out, you know, and there's a little bit of an avenue to it now, you know, I've got my foot in the door a little bit. It's just, I don't really have many other things I can think of that I really want to just pursue professionally other than that. But there are other things I'm pursuing. I, I have a degree in international relations, you know, so I could be dealing with that, but that's just not what I'm pursuing at the moment, really. But the thing is, is everything I could do, I can all do at the same time. I can write papers on foreign affairs and still act. So I'm trying to get to where I can do it all at once, you know, just kind of be like a jack of all trades that, uh, you know, maybe write, write news commentary and do acting roles and occasional other stuff. So you were saying you have a lot of interests. I'm mm -hmm. curious to know when you have some downtime, what does Michael Connor Humphreys like to do? 
What do you like to do if you have some leisure? Oh, oh, if I actually get, if I get real time off, usually, well, not this time of year now, but usually outdoors, I'll go. The first thing I'll do if I have a day off in Portland is probably end up going for a drive out into the mountains and potentially a hike if the weather permits that. <laughs> but if that's not possible, you know, uh, I like just either sometimes I'll just go into town into Portland and just walk around like the nicer parts of town, you know, and just just hit hit up coffee shops and bookshops and stuff. Just be in the midst of uh, civilization a little bit, you know, well, again, where I get to like watch other people and observe other people. And like, you know, that's about, like I said, kind of a understanding other people thing there. But and then for my own downtime, I mean, I watch I either watch a lot of videos or read a lot of articles about either military history or current geopolitics. Those are like my two most, you know, that's a, yeah, completely not related to acting, but I, I get glued to stuff that has to do with current geopolitics or military history in general. So I've always just been obsessed with military history and just I'm always obsessed with how countries are dealing with each, dealing with each other and what they're their games are, you know, everybody's got some kind of strategy in the background or some agenda. So, you know, always my pastime is trying to predict what's going to happen with the U S Russia and China in the next 20 years, you know, that's always my pastime. So, Mm. and obviously something that I should, that's another thing I shouldn't be pursuing professionally, but like, I really need to go live in DC if I'm ever going to be serious about anything in that, you know, along those lines. So for now I'm sticking with the West coast and going to try and make acting work. So tell us a book, not necessarily your favorite book, but a book that has made a big impression on you. Oh, uh, huh. Oh, well, a huge one is Foundation by Isaac Asimov. The Foundation series. That's actually coming out in the near future as a, I think, Apple TV show. I think they've, they've made it. It's either Apple TV or Netflix or Hulu or somebody, but it's been turned into a miniseries. Now, finally, it took them forever to do that. I don't know if it's going to be any good, the miniseries, but the Foundation book series by Isaac Asimov is uh, it's from the 40s. And it's it's if you read it, it's where all of modern sci-fi pulls from. That's where all your Dune and Star Wars and Star Trek ideas come from is that original series. So uh, it is a really, very interesting one. But the basic premise is, without getting too deep into it, he, he's, writing about, he's writing about human civilization 20,000 years from now, where we've like spread all over the galaxy. But we essentially, you know, we peak and then we fall back into a dark age. And it's about how like, you know, all we were ever going to do is keep peaking and falling into dark ages over and over and over and repeating the cycle that humans repeat. And it's about people in the future trying to break that cycle, you know, or find ways around that. So he was just examining why we act the way we do. And he was just looking at how human nature is going to be the same then as it was 20,000 years ago, you know, and like just looking at what we can do uh, in terms of breaking that cycle. So, but he puts it on a grand cosmic scale. So it's very interesting. Hmm. What about a movie that you can watch again and again and again? Oh, I always hate that because like I'm terrible at whenever I'm really bad at just 
whatever my answers are, I can never just bring them to mind. It's like they always, I can't ever think of them on the spot, but with movies, uh, there are certain ones that, yeah, really, really, Oh shoot. I'm there was one I was just watching the other day that, that really, really strikes me. And, um, that I do watch all the time or I like to watch all the time. Well, I don't know. I, I heat one, there's one heat, the one with Val Pacino and Robert De Niro, the Michael Mann. Great uh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite films. That's, that's the best, uh, as far as like cops and robbers, like crime drama stuff. That's the best thing I've ever seen like that. That is just, yeah, that's an insanely good film and I can't watch that over and over. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, as far as war films, I've always really enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, there's a few, but yeah, those, those are two of them. Those are two big ones there. Uh, Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise, the Cameron Crowe movie. That one's also one I've always liked a lot, uh, the psychological stuff going on in that. So, yeah, but those are three good ones that, yeah, I've always, I go back and watch pretty frequently. Are you a music fan? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I am. Uh, I haven't kept up very well with, I mean, over the past, I'd say the past five years or so, I haven't really listened to a lot of what's coming out at the moment. Like the, I'm not up to date on what's contemporary in terms of the last, you know, decade really, but my big stuff's mainly, uh, I'd say my favorite bands of all time are going to be, uh, oh, uh, I like, I like, like Led Zeppelin, Joy Division, Nine Inch Nails, probably my three favorite bands. Okay. That's of course spread out. That's not contemporary necessarily. Nine Inch Nails is a little contemporary now, but like those three. Yeah. I like, I like really, you know, uh, I like hard rock and uh, stuff that's really deep, I guess, you know, kind of dark. I like dark music, but the thing is dark music makes me feel better. You know, like I, there's something about it. Whenever I listen to like, like nine inch nails as, as heady and, and, you know, uh, resentful as that music can be sometimes lyrically and musically, when I listen to it, it actually makes me feel more, it's more uplifting to me than listening to something that's, that's just, I guess, kind of just disingenuously chipper, you know, (laughs) What would you say is the best thing about being Michael Connor Humphreys? Huh. Uh, hmm. I, you know, one thing, I don't know if it's the best thing, but one thing is that I always, well, this goes back to when I was saying that I had that, that sensation when I was a kid that when I tried out for the movie, I knew I was going to get the part for some reason. I just knew I was going to get the part. I don't know why. Uh, I always been able to not lose my cool basically forever. Like, bro, like I never, I always feel like things are going to work out, even if there's no reason to think they're going to work out. You know, like I can think of a lot of things at the moment that are, that are reasons for anxiety in my life and in the world in general, that nothing ever really bothers me that much. I never feel too afraid of anything. When I was in the army, I, I didn't realize this till I looked back, but the whole time I was in Iraq, I never once worried about getting killed. Not because I couldn't get killed at any moment, but it just never bothered me that I was going to get killed. I was just like, well, you'll probably get killed and whatever. 
I, so I guess that's a good thing. That's a good trait. Like I'm able to keep my cool, you know, under most circumstances and not freak out, which a lot of people can do that. But I've just noticed that like there are times when that can be a big benefit. So, but I feel like the trade off to that is that I also don't get as thrilled about good things as I sometimes should, you know, like a little, little numb, numbish kind of feeling that was exacerbated after Iraq. I noticed after coming back from the war in Iraq that I got into this thing where it's like, I don't get too happy. I don't get too sad. I'm just kind of, eh, you know, but that can be useful, you know, when you need it to be, especially if you get into something like acting. So. Hmm. Well, on this show, I always like to, I, I like to end the show. I like to give the guest to the stage. It's not limited to Forrest Gump, but Perhaps your portrayal of that character has attracted people to watch this. I'm curious to know, what would you say to anybody, wherever they are in the world, who's tuning in to hear this? Hmm. I would say, uh, I would say, uh, given, well, uh, this kind of pertains more to what's going on in America than the rest of the world, but it does pertain to the rest of the world too. Uh, I would say be, just be, um, be aware of others, uh, do what you can to be aware of, of what other people's plights are around you, but also everybody, especially in America needs to do a better job at trying to understand everybody else, especially the people you don't understand. You should spend more time talking to people you disagree with and people that you agree with, period, all the time. You should immerse, you should drown yourself in people that you don't understand so that you can understand them. Not so you can agree with them, agreeing and understanding are not the same thing. There's just being able to respect other people's points of views just means that you just have to understand them, not that you have to agree with it. But yeah, I would tell people, especially in America, to start drowning themselves in the people they disagree with on purpose and uh, get away from the ones they do agree with so that everybody's heads can start to try and match up a little bit, because that's obviously a thing we're having a big problem with right now. You know, everybody wants to wall off their selves from anybody that they don't have the same point of view with, which doesn't make any sense. So that goes on in the whole world too. You know, that's why you get countries that almost go to war, but Locally, we're having that whole polarization thing go on. So, yeah, I would say, you know, yeah, as they say, keep your enemies closer and then you keep your friends and all that stuff. That's what people should be doing. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you very much for making time. Thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was no problem. I had fun. I had a good time. All right, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. If you ever need anything, I'm always here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. See ya. See ya. Ba-ba Goodbye.